Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Jim from the Keys Bartender Podcast. How you doing today? I'm doing fine. I decided today to take it easy because I got a big weekend coming up. It was a busy day yesterday too at the at the catch where I work in Key Largo. We had a rare event this time of year. It does happen when I'm saying it's not rare. It's just not usual. And that's a cold front moving through. Yay! Instead of having, you know, mid-80s, high humidity, feeling like a jungle there, we had cool weather. The, the humidity dropped. It was just something people look forward to that live down here. But... For people that have vacation, I understand it's probably something different. And right before cold front, you get all these thunderstorms and rain and, uh, you know, windy weather weather that comes with it. And uh, I I can understand for people that come down here, but people that live down here, they really look forward to it. This coming weekend, we have a big event at the place I work. It's a big event for Key Largo. It's a charity event called the Witch's Ride. And what they do is a bunch of women and some men, more and more men each year, participate in a bike ride that starts at the Catch Restaurant and goes up to the Caribbean Club here in Key Largo. And what it does, it it has a amalgam of charities, three or four charities, and mostly it's scholarship foundations and uh, there's one called Marie I, I don't know I I don't want to say what it's uh, donated to but businesses participate they um, people pay a donation to participate they have a big basket of cheer and it's a social event people get dressed up like witches and they decorate their bikes and things like that it's a fun event but one of the participants and planners goes says to me uh, last week so I, I I don't know how the subject came up and they said no sexy witches costumes this year I don't know how it got to that and I don't know why I have some people uh, why they determined no sexy witches they wanted to get to more serious traditional witches costumes now I think that only applies to people that were planning the event because people come to the event and they pay their entrance fee to participate. And I don't know how they can regulate people dressing up, but uh, you know, if you're, you've been alive for the last 30 years, witches' costumes are more often than not sexy witches' costumes. And when people design costumes, they always try to display their the attributes that are they consider they're they're proud of. It could be a handcrafted broom, a hat, or a well stitched together dress, or you know intricately patterned and things like that. Or they like to show their boobs. And a short skirt. Which is an attribute. You know, people work hard for those things. 
you know, some for some people it's an investment, for some people it's a point of pride. So, you know, taste. We all know the taste change. I know my taste change. When I was nine, you know what? There was nothing more that I would enjoy than the well put together witch's outfit. And you see uh, someone walking around and say, oh, with a nice hat and they got the broom and the thing. Oh, what a nice woman. Now, now that I'm grown up, you can guess which type of dress sparks my interest now. And finally, if you really want to get serious about uh, witch's costume nowadays, if you want to go something more traditional, you have to look at the Wiccan wear, what they wear. You know, you got the the some kind of earth mother goddess amulet, the kind of not too well-styled hair, but still kind of almost reminiscent of Woodstock. You know, you'd have more like earth tone cottons with a sensible heel. Good good luck, witches, this weekend, you know, trying to navigate the, the right outfits. You know, you'll have people dressed up like the Hocus Pocus witches because I think there's a revival there. But there's all different types of witches. There's the Red Witch from... I don't know if that's a Red Witch. Is that from D.C.? That's D.C. And there's one from Marvel, too. It's all screwy stuff. But speaking of the event, the Witches uh, Ride, that is one of those events that restaurants have. And normally Saturday, we have decent business there. I'm not there on a regular Saturday, but this one I am almost always called in to work. Because what you have is about, you know, over anywhere from 100 to 200 people. I think it's probably 200, maybe even more that come in. And some people, not everyone drinks the same, but some people will come in and have three, four drinks before they go and start their ride. And as a bartender, you have to be ready to service them. And I always admire those bartenders, no matter how busy they are. They're smiling, they're upbeat, and they're just going on. But for me, and I only speak for myself when it comes to this, I go into serious production mode when I do it. I don't do I don't do the small talk. I just put on drinks. I I don't like to to stop and have a chat because I I don't know if it's because I empathize with the people that are waiting, but a crowded bar. There's only one thing a bartender would do at a crowded bar, and that's put out drinks. Put out drinks, and obviously ring up drinks too, but that's it. Until that crowd has been sated, and you only have a couple people doing it. But when it's really crowded, no matter if you serve everyone, there's people ready for their second round and going this. I always uh, have really kind of really been shocked by some of the portrayals of what a busy bar is like for people. They get it right sometimes. In the movie, uh, what was that movie called? Knocked Up. Seth Rogen was in it. And he meets the girl 
uh, the main you know the main character at a bar at the beginning of the movie, and it's a crowded bar, and the bartenders are just inundated, and they're serving drinks, serving drinks, and no one's paying attention to one side of the bar, and the guy just reaches, Seth Rogen reaches over, grabs two bottles, and gives them to, uh, to one to the girl. Now, I haven't seen that too often, stuff like that, but he did leave money up there for it, but it's really nice, stuff like that, because, you know, otherwise that would be stealing, but he shouldn't have been doing that anyway, but that's what a bar's like. People are impatient, they're waiting, it's crowded. It's not like cocktail. I don't care how great a bar it is. If you have a bar three, four deep, and your bartender starts tossing bottles back and forth with the only other bartender, I can't say, you know, some some goofy people might be entertained by it and stuff like that, and, you know, clapping, going, ooh, ah, you know, at this Cirque du Soleil display. But I, granted, one out of ten may be really impressed, but nine out of ten is thinking, when the fuck is this guy going to put that bottle down, stop spinning it around, and make my drink. I understand the need for flair. And flair occurs when you have time. If you're that kind of flair bartender. If you have time. Because no matter what you say, there's some flair where people make it, but when you have to, when you stack the drinks and you make them all at the same time, well, it takes time to stack. It takes time to put them out. It takes time to clean it. When you're done with that stuff, just make your drinks. And usually, there's not 40 people drinking the same drink. So holding that bottle going across the different glasses, that's not going to help. If you look at a bar, sometimes there's over 100 bottles. And that's the way people order sometimes. You get like in one order of 20 drinks, you may get seven or eight different base liquors. Easy. And that's not if it's a complicated drink. You could end up having like 20 different liquors. So in a big event like that, you cut down on your small talk. You go up there and you take it. Now, as a patron, there's nothing you do about the patrons. When they come up, you got the people that are in the bars all the time. They understand. The people that are in the bar all the time. Most people understand that... You're busy, and you don't. You're not going to be making small talk with them. You're going to say hi, how are you? Blah blah blah. Make the drink, but they don't go and tell you, you know, some complicated drink that they want to make. Yeah, every so often you'll get a um, mojito or a frozen drink. You always get the margaritas. No big deal about that. But you know, there's people that. Every so often, they're not out that often. They rarely go to a bar. And they come up and they say, I want a mudslide. You got 100 people waiting for a drink. And you got to stop and get ice cream for this one person that goes out twice a year and throws on their, you know, whatever outfit they're wearing. It could be, it could be a witch's outfit if it's a witch's ride. But... That just you're just doing things that slow the whole process down. We're talking mass 
uh, when you're putting out drinks, we're putting mass party drinks. You're not going to mudslides unless you're making a hundred mudslides, which is great because you just keep the thing of ice cream there and you just keep on making them. Blah 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 blah. blah start pouring them out. I could do that. But with a mudslide, peanut butter martini, this and that. And these people, I guess their inhibitions are relaxed when they're drinking, some of these people. And they just forget. You know, if I order that drink, when there's a hundred people waiting, I'll be holding up the rest of the people and say, well, it's only one bartender and there's two bartenders there. Yeah, I understand that. I'm kind of snarky. You know? So, yeah, most times, almost every time, the patron is always right and always should get what they want. But if you need to stop the bartender and redirect them and stuff like that, and they're putting out, let's say, 15 drinks a minute, that's a lot. You know, because you get some vodka. You know, sometimes you get like four. I put up four glasses, five glasses at a time. Then I'll go and make them, put them out. And then because we're a little different, we got to write them all down. That kind of slows down the process too. But when you have to stop to do that, that just changes everything. And you just got to remember some of the rules for handling people like that. You know, first of all, you got four rules. I keep four rules when I'm working a big event and I'm not talking about a wedding. I'm talking about a charitable event where you're just trying to make as many drinks as possible. You know it's going to be busy. So the number one is always work fast. Be prepared to work fast. Think fast, work fast, do fast. Work methodically. You know, make all your liquor drinks at the same time. Don't make uh, your cocktails and then go get your wine and get your beer and then go back to making a cocktail for the same order. If you got four drinks, make the four drinks. If you got two wines, make you know, pour the two wines. And if you have a couple draft beers, do the draft beers and then your bottle beers. Or it doesn't matter which order you do it in, but I tend to see to make I have a tendency to make the cocktails first. But you could do that. Now for interactions, make it short interaction. Some people will view your interaction with them as curt, short. But I just when you walk up and it's a busy event, I just want your order, how many drinks you want. I don't want this. I'll take a captain of Coke. You make the captain of Coke. And I'll take no. I want a captain of Coke. I want a goose and cranberry. I want a kettle and tonic. Three different drinks. And you tell them at the same time. Most people can remember three different drinks at the same time. You know, when a lot of people are yelling at you, it's hard to remember any drink. I have people that come up to me when I'm working. We have like an antiquated system. and They're not printed out. So they'll, they'll order eight drinks. And I may remember if there's like three Bud drafts, Bud Light drafts, and two Cabernets, I can remember three cocktails. You know, I can remember eight drinks. But as soon as someone yells at me and goes, hey, Jim, why are you making that? Forget it. I I forgot the whole fucking order. Well, I still remember the three Bud Light and the two Cabernets. Maybe. But yeah, there's, you know, every time you add something to the front of the line, a drink, 
it bumps off the last one for me. You have to be one of those memory freaking experts to remember that stuff. So, and the last thing, number four, work faster. Whatever you're working fast of, work faster. Also, of course, I left out the prerequisites, but if you're um, a bartender, you already know about being prepared, rested, you know, having all the supplies, having all the mixers, having all the ice. And the liquor that you have, the liquor you have is the liquor you have. They can't do anything else like that. We have a little outside bar. I always try to put the most ordered, not necessarily... You can't have everything for everyone at a temporary bar. But you want to do, if you if you have one of these sidebars to take the heat off the main bar, you want to put the big items. You want to do like... Certain, if you don't have draft, you do the bottle beers, the big bottle beers, not all the bottle beers, special bottle beers you want to keep in there. You don't want to have to carry everything and have inventory of everything that you have at one of your satellite bars. So you, you plan that that way. And you have to have your glassware or cups or whatever. They do a special thing where they order a rum punch and they give you the cup. And once you pay for the drink... The, um, you have the cup, you get the drink for half price every time you present the cup. That's a great idea. I want to uh, end that segment with talking about our sponsor. And our sponsor is Key Largo Chocolates, established in 2010. And it's operated by the Petersons, Rich and Brana, or Brana and Rich. Lovely friends, they're friends of mine, and uh, they have locations in Key Largo at Mile Marker. What was that mile marker? 100.4.5. Point, point but you know, if you're listening to a podcast, then you definitely have access to a mapping app. So you put in Key Largo Chocolates. They have locations in Key Largo and Isle Morada. Now Isle Morada one is at 81.933 mile marker. Everything's mile marker down here. Now, a Key Largo chocolate is not just chocolates. It's, they also style themselves as Key Largo chocolate and ice cream. So, and we'll get into that. Last night, Rich came in and brought in these chocolate caramels that he made. He made the non-salted and the salted one, one, one made with sea salt. And they were delicious. They were delicious. Nothing like getting... These, not the mass-produced ones. And, hey, you know what? They have mass-produced ones, may have their purposes, stuff like that. But there's nothing like craft confections. I think, I don't know if they style themselves, but they are purveyors of craft uh, uh, confections. I said perfections. What a good, I guess that's a good Freudian slip. So you'll find truffles, fudge, key lime fudge caramels like I had last night. It were delicious key lime pie, frozen key lime pie bars. And like I said earlier, 36 flavors of small batch ice cream and gelatos. Just to name a few. And they have a lot of things. There's a great place to stop if you want it for yourself or for picking up items you'd like to send someone. It's a great, makes a great gift. And their website is www.keylargochocolates.com. You can check out some of their wares, check out their locations. They can check out some of the other things they provide. They uh, provide services for catering. When I say that, you know, sweets and other confections, they, they have packages for that. So just check it out at www.keylargochocolates.com. 
Facebook.com. I always love going there. It is great. So, I want to get back to this. I was watching... Um, whenever I talk to someone about the things I do on the side, I realize I get really... Now, let me put this... When I'm talking to people, I am aware... Then when people say, how are things going? And I tell them about all the things that I'm doing. And I don't know if that's necessarily what people want to hear from me. They just want to hear how I'm doing. They don't want to know that I'm a spin instructor, a notary, wedding efficient, a podcaster. uh, And, you know, they're talking to me while I'm bartending, so they know I do that. So... I realize that things get really convoluted and they say, hey, that's a lot of stuff. It's all due to the allocation of your time resources, right? That's what it is. What, what am I fo- most focused on? And uh, I know how to bartend. I show up and bartend. I don't have to focus on that. I just that's, That takes up a part of my time. I enjoy it. I enjoy the people I work with. I enjoy the patrons. I enjoy the interactions I have with them. It's fun. I have a good time. And as a spin instructor, I've been doing that for years too. So every you know, so often I have to you know keep up to date with certification. And it's also good to get a fresh perspective on your craft. As well, you know, that goes for bartend, but as a spin instructor, you know, because there's new music, there's new movements, there's just new things they do and they got the new bikes that every so often you use that have different capabilities and give you different things like calorie readout and your heart rate and calories burned and things like that they've had that around for years but they're integrated with the bikes and you integrate it with your smartwatch and all that stuff and then i have the notary thing which is probably the the last thing i really do in the, in the thing, the notary and the, and the wedding officiating, and which probably I'm going to probably fall back on the wayside. I'll still do for a little while, but it's just not. It's a very uh, competitive market down here, and it's not something, even though I'm good at it, I'm really good at the wedding officiating. I'm really good at providing services I know I'm patting myself on the back but I just think being in the service industry someone says can you be here in an hour I said I could be there in a half hour I'm ready to go and uh, do that now but there's some things that don't really drive me now the real passion I have is doing this what I'm doing right now and I've been doing it for five years and I'm finally getting a foothold in it, getting an understanding of it. I'm ready to move on to the next level where I'm bring someone else in to help with the production to take my, I guess, take some of the load off the production of the show. And I can concentrate on content. And people say, yes, you have to concentrate on content and maybe bring in on some other uh, guest. Make it a little more interesting, will you, Jim? I, I do appreciate you for listening even up to that point. You know, if you're thinking that, that's amazing. And it will, trust me, I always endeavor 
to 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 make it better. I don't think there's going to be any huge changes that are going on other than an increased quality uh, quality of show, and I'll be reinvesting the profits into uh, production. You know, so. But I'm also it's also a business too, so we'll see that. But people say, "Wow, you're don't isn't it a little late to be doing this stuff? You're like podcasting." You ever see these old people that get try to do TikTok videos and shit like that? Well, I've been I'm doing this five years. I I got over. I'm approaching seven hundred. Even though I told you, I don't know if I told you one thing. If you notice, I started labeling the episode six six five dash, and I I think I mentioned another one. The reason I did that is because I noticed. A little over a month ago, that either um, I was going to be in the month of October and I was going to hit episode 666. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I did a show on Halloween, episode 666? And 666, yeah. And so I said I couldn't think of anything other than I could have skipped over it and did everyone after and then did episode 666. But years from now, people are saying, what the fuck went on, you know, with this episode? Because I think, uh, I don't know, I think they, most services put them in chronological order, but that's what, what I do. So I think that's going to be cr- crucial uh, for me. So that's one of the things I did. And um, I don't know why... Someone told me last night, Chris, um, friend, uh, the wife of Ted, told me that, you know, Jim kind of rambles on. And I have been rambling. And I was thinking, wow. If I had decided right now to do a podcast... It would be harder to impress on people and say, wow, this is just an old guy starting a podcast. And I was an old, I was a younger, older guy starting a podcast five years ago or six years. It'll be six years ago and stuff. And, you know, I'm just, you know, moving. I would take my computer and my soundboard and my microphones and I bring my friends who are musicians and we do a show from a, a restaurant and stuff like that. And people, who the hell is this guy and what does he think he's doing? Well, I've been doing it for five years. But if I had not done it, it would have been that ship has sailed. Like I've never, and they said, at what point do you not do something new? Do you say, well, that's enough. I can't do that now. There's people that compete in uh, they're not Special Olympics. They're age-related Olympics. They have like people, Senior Olympics and things like that, con- contestants. There's all sorts of categories and things. But there's a lot of people that reach success late in your life. And I'm not comparing that to me. I'm just saying for the listeners out there, if you're not doing something now and think you might be a little too old to be doing it, I would really seriously think again. Because there is evidence out there, real factual evidence that people that started later in life 
have enjoyed great success. Now, Henry Ford, in 1908, set up our modern production system with the manufacturer of the Model T that became the most popular car for the era for years. And he was 45 years old then, which is kind of like 65 now. I remember as a kid, when you met someone who's 45 or 50, you thought old. Now, obviously, I'm older. I don't think 45's old. You know, I know it's all relative. But I know that a lot of people my age and older are doing things that I used to associate with people that were younger. So I mentioned here, um, Henry Ford. There's this writer, Harry Bernstein. Or is it Steen? Bernstein. He had his first novel published, even though he kept on submitting novels and stuff like that, and they were rejected when he was 96 years old. Toni Morrison was in her 40s. Stan Lee, the creator of Spider-Man, and then the Marvel franchise, he died a couple years ago. He was in his... Uh, he was... Before I was born, he was 40 in his early 40s when he created Spider-Man in six, a couple years before I was born, and it became a multi-billion dollar franchise. You have uh, Samuel L. Jackson. He had bit roles until he made it to his mid-40s. Rodney Dangerfield, even though he was on the Ed Sullivan show, he really didn't hit it big until he was uh, like in his mid-60s. He was an older man. Julia Child, Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's. In the 50s, he was in early, he was 52. When he, he was a milkshake salesman. Have you ever seen him, uh, the movie uh, about Ray Kroc? I mean, there, you heard some you know good and bad things about Ray Kroc and stuff like that, but he was older when he created that. Colonel Sanders, um, and last but not least, for younger people, older people probably know this already, there's a painter, Grandma Moses. She was 78 when she started painting. She found some success when she was like, so with a lot of painters, though, her success, a, a lot of her success came posthumously, you know, after she died. And But one of her paintings sold in like 2008, I think it was, for $1.2 million, $1.6 million. That's a lot, you know, and that's a legacy. Your work is your legacy. Yeah, it's nice to be compensated for and stuff like that. But generally, when you start something you really like or love and you enjoy doing and you always wanted to do, it's best to get off the couch or off whatever's holding you back. The little head that's telling you, saying, I can't do that. It's best to just go and do it. And let the chips fall where they may. Uh, if you make a mistake, there's time to clean it up. You know, you got to be careful if you're making a huge financial investment. Got to be wary of that. You got to make sure you don't put yourself into a corner financially, contractually. In a relationship, you got to make sure you take care of it. The difficulties for, for people that are starting late in life could be their familial commitments and their job commitments and their concerns about what's going to happen to them when they're, you know, they feel as if 
they're not going to be old enough to work if I don't do this and I don't stay with what I'm doing. I, I won't have anything. That's an important thing to consider. That is important to consider. But outside all those considerations, there's that thing at the end of the day. We always talk about taking, you know, in every movie, some of the things, would you trade, you know, when you're, when you're about, you're living, you always hear this thing, live today as if it's your last day. Um, would you trade today, success today? Let me see. Boy, I'm having a hard time remembering this stuff, but just think of Braveheart. Someday dying in bed. Would you trade all that thoughts of, you know, when they were fighting the English, the Scot- Scottish rebels were fighting the English in Braveheart? Would you, tr- would you trade a life safe and in bed, dying old, for the chance of freedom? Convert that speech that he gives to your battle call. I'm not going to do it verbatim because uh, they can do it better in the movie. Henry V does it and in the battle before Agincourt. He's, he says, you know, it's right when the, the English were going to fight. Uh, they were outnumbered three to one by the French forces and Henry the the English king, Henry V, he overhears someone saying, oh, we're going to be in trouble, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, listen, there's people in England in bed tonight that will be ashamed that they weren't here with us today. And they said, you know, you heard, you probably heard the thing, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. So if you're talking about what you need to be able to do these things, you just got to go out and do them. You got to try to do it. Because someday, more people rue the things they didn't do, the things they didn't attempt. And I'm not talking about the mistakes in the past, but the things they didn't attempt. It's always the things they didn't attempt in the end. I should have, you know, I should have went on this trip. I should have, you know, I should have tried this. I should have uh, spoke to this person. I should have asked this person to marry me. There's no time in life when your ship has sailed. Finally, think of the Titanic. This, <laughs> these people uh, on the Titanic. I'm, I'm not going to talk about the sinking of the Titanic. I'm just talking about right before the ship sails, Leonardo DiCaprio and his buddy are in a bar playing poker with these two, I think they're Swedes, two brothers. And Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't know what they were planning on doing right next to Titanic. He doesn't have tickets until he wins a pair of tickets for he and his friend that the Swede put up for him and his brother as the pot. And he loses, and Leonardo DiCaprio gets the thing, and this guy bet bet his whole future, his whole future, the Swedish guy, I'm not talking about Leonardo DiCaprio, he bet his whole future 
on hand. I don't know why he was doing it because he had the tickets in hand and stuff like that. He probably lost all the money they needed to get their steak or get a room when they got to the United States because he was betting his tickets. He was probably trying to win enough to get, you know, when they arrived in the United States to live a little, you know, at least a little in style. But he ended up losing everything, betting everything. And he was right there next to Titanic, which probably was the best move in the world. That guy losing that hand, if it, I know it's fictional, uh, fictional dramatization of the event. But if that were to happen, think about it. The guy bet his future, those tickets, on a hand in order to have a better life than the United States because they were going to the United States and to have some more money. And he ended up not going. And he ended up living and having another chance to go because that ship, he thought that ship was going to be his last chance maybe. It's not his last chance. He's still alive. And what happened to Leonardo DiCaprio? His girlfriend uh, sat on a dresser and he drowned or laid across a, I guess it's called a dresser or an armoire or something like that. A lot of ramblings right there. But there you go. The guy bet it all. He lost, the Swedish guy. In the end, he won because he has another opportunity. If he was a real person, he probably wasn't a real person that was fictionalized. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank again Key Largo Chocolates for being a sponsor of the show. I will be back again tomorrow and next week. And I'll talk, I'll do a little, uh, maybe, I don't know. I got to get that, I got to get that producer in so I can get the sounds in and maybe record some sounds from the witch's ride. Maybe say what's going on. So it's not piss out. I just put up my phone, record some sound, make an announcement, time, you know, timestamp, see what I do. Once again, Key Largo Chocolates, thank you. You can find them at www.keylargochocolates.com. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Oh, and I'm placing a little music to send us off. <laughs>